there. Welcome to Podrick the Podcast, the incremental podcast. I'm Maor Sadra, CEO at Incremental. In this series titled We're All Mad Here, we interview people we generally like from all sides of the marketing industry, talking about the current trends and the latest changes. These interviews are pretty casual with no rehearsals or scripted conversations. In this one, I had the pleasure to speak with Tim Koshela, CEO and co-founder at Kaizen. Tim was previously my CEO at Applift and comes with both experience and more importantly with passion for this ultra-fast moving industry. Tim and I spoke about entrepreneurship, incrementality, consolidation, differentiation and more. Hope you'll enjoy listening to this interview. Hello, Tim Koshela. Hi, Maor. Nice to meet you again. Meet me? You, like, we've, we've known each other for like eight times, no, probably like nine years now. Uh, it's true. Actually, 2012 in Tel Aviv. Um, I remember that moment very that, vividly. <laughs> I also remember that moment very vividly. We were sitting out in uh, Rishon Lezion, which is like Tel Aviv district, in some random conference in the sun. And you were, of course, wearing the typical uplift, very orange jumper with orange sunglasses as well. And you were this blonde German dude visiting Israel. And yeah, I really had fun talking with you back then. I think that's when we clicked. Same here, same here, Maor. Cool. And now uh, we're slightly older, still beautiful. Um, still in this space. I think, I think we like it. Absolutely, absolutely. Actually, at the time, um, the space was rather new to me. I know you had been in it for a long time, but 2012 is when I entered mobile advertising. Um, I had very little advertising experience before that, but I loved it from the beginning. Uh, I fell in love with the industry. I developed a strong passion for the products in the industry and how the market evolves. And yeah, uh, now it's 10 years later and still in it. You know, I always appreciate smart people, very, very smart people, especially entrepreneurs who choose to be in this industry. Like, like I know you, Tim. You could literally work in so many other industries if you wanted to, but you're really, really passionate about it. So maybe we jump in directly to the first question. Tim, please introduce yourself to the listeners, um, as much background as you want to kind of explain to how you got to where you are. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. So yeah, my name is Tim. Uh, I am the co-founder and CEO of Kaizen. I will talk a little bit about Kaizen later, I guess. But uh, let's start a bit earlier. I, um, uh, when I graduated from, from university, um, I found it quite boring to work for a regular company like most of my classmates were doing. So I decided to set up a company myself together with a co-founder that I met at university. And it was not in advertising. It was in education and e-learning. And it was exciting. It was You know, we're improving the world, we're bringing teaching online, we're helping people that are have not access to all that education to get access. So it, it really had a purpose as well. And it was it felt well, but it was tremendously hard and emotional. And we were not very prepared. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to say the company is around today, um, does very well and um, has survived the hard times. But I decided to move on after a couple of years um, because I found the industry pretty slow. Um, and that's one thing I love about advertising. It's super fast and it has always been fast and it, it's never slowed down. If anything, it's accelerated. 
And e-learning was an industry that was already hot, supposed to be hot at the time in 2008. But if you look at the growth rates, it's still um, not a big market today. And everything moves very slow. And in advertising, everything moves very fast. So yeah, I, I decided to move into that industry and was lucky enough to basically was one of the first probably to enter the mobile advertising sphere when mobile app advertising was super, super small, almost non-existent. And at the time we were saying like, we believe mobile will be the number one access point to the internet. And well, today everyone would say, yes, sure. Um, <laughs> how could it be different? But if you, if you told that to people back in 2012, 2011, most people would say, no, why would I use that small device, small screen? A lot of the experiences, websites were not adjusted to mobile at all. Apps were still crappy. And a lot of people didn't believe mobile would be where consumer internet goes. Um, yeah. And um, that's it. That's the story. I started um, an ad network in the mobile space called AppLift, um, exited the company and moved on to found Kaizen. And that's uh, what we do today. We're an in-house bidding platform um, for app advertisers and mobile advertisers in general. Uh, we provide them the technology infrastructure to access inventory, in-app inventory globally with an efficient and fair SaaS pricing model, a transparent pricing model, um, so that they can buy inventory for less middleman fees. Cool. And by the way, like knowing team, I know that you really, really do like speed. And, you know, there's this saying, like the best way to win a marathon is to start by running as fast as you can and then accelerate. And I think that's how kind of like mobile advertising um, looks like. You just need to start as fast as you can and just accelerate from there onwards. Now, team is uh, both an entrepreneur and CEO now of Kaizen. How does your day to day look like? Ooh, um, <laughs> full, uh, full, uh, full of exciting tasks, but also, um, yeah, just like a lot of things to do. Um, we're, um, for some context, we're like 45 people in the company approaching 50, um, globally distributed. So when I wake up, our team over in India has already been working for a while. And when I go to bed, um, our Fox in Argentina probably still working. So it's kind of almost around the clock. Um, I do come back to the office these days uh, quite a bit. We actually rented a nice new office space in the middle of Berlin, um, very light, very modern. And we made that deliberate choice um, to create a space for our team. Even though we don't have a office policy, everyone can work as much from home as they like. Um, we do want to have the space so people can actually meet if they want to. And uh, yeah, that's actually been an interesting change in the last couple of weeks because I've only come back here, I think four weeks ago to actually regularly go to the office. And with a couple of new joiners, it's also good to connect them, connect with them, connect them to the team. So yeah, uh, do you want to know more details about my, <laughs> my actual work? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's kind of like a day-to-day. -day. How, how does it look like for a CEO of an advertising platform a company? Yeah, um, so we have a very flat hierarchy. So I have two co-founders. 
um, and myself, almost everyone in the company reports to either of the three of us. Not everyone, but almost. So um, I have a lot of one-on-ones, um, a couple of team meetings, and usually my Mondays and Tuesdays are pretty clogged with meetings. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say rather short and to the point meetings. Um, so nothing where like 10 people will sit and talk around. Uh, we don't have that luckily. Um, yeah, that's kind of Mondays and Tuesdays. And then Wednesdays onwards, I have a little bit more leeway to work on like things that require a little bit more time and attention to work out stuff, to do podcasts like with you today. We're recording this on a Thursday night evening. Um, and Fridays are pretty chilled and free and I get time to think about more strategic stuff about the future, get time to read a little bit more about what has been happening the week. Um, uh, yeah, that's kind of how it, how it looks like usually. Yeah, actually it's similar to me. And I, I, uh, I joked with Itamar, Itamar is the CEO of Anzo. Um, you know, we often try to see if we can meet up for breakfast and so on. He's also based in Berlin. And we always talk about next Friday because next Friday is this like dreamy day where we have nothing to do in our calendar and we have time to sit around for breakfast. It never actually arrives because let's face it, Friday becomes just this like more relaxed day where you get to actually do a lot of the things you have been pushing away throughout the week because let's face it, we have busy weeks. Um, jumping to a couple of other questions, maybe um, jumping first to one about the industry itself. Um, you know, we've, we both have hired a lot of people, sometimes people who don't come from the industry. And I guess you do this today as well. What piece of advice do you give anyone, you know, coming into this industry? Um, I think it depends on the role, I would say a lot on the role. Um, what I can give managers or people more in more senior roles as an advice is don't look at this as a traditional industry you can understand with your um, traditional business frameworks and management approaches. It's not going to work. I think, if anything, this industry requires extreme attention to detail. It requires um, a good understanding of the full value chain, all the players in the market, and how they interact to really understand what's going on. And at best, you're good at networking and building up your own network of people that can help you understand, because a lot of that is not well documented. Um, I mean, of course, you can read things online and in certain blogs, and um, there is podcasts you can follow. I think podcasts are actually a very good way of getting to know the industry and keep questioning what you hear, because no one, no one knows the full picture. And everyone has their own angle on the industry and has heard something or talked to someone or read some data. So try to triangulate and operate a little bit like a secret service would, like try to have different data sources, validate your data sources, um, and try to build your puzzle um, in your mind to actually understand the full picture. I would completely agree with you with the point about question the things you hear, because again, we are in a marketing industry, a marketing to marketers, typically B2B. Um, I think we not both know it and we will actually talk about it later. There's a lot of BS flying around in your industry. It's a, yeah. 
infamous in creating it. Um, now to a, a bit more of a generic question uh, for you, Tim, is marketing more of an art or science? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. I think it's always a little bit of both. Um, I think the performance marketing industry clearly has a lot of science, but the art is never going away from it. Um, I think it always remains to a certain extent art and um, at least 20, 30% of what even performance, even the, the most hard number driven performance advertising um, is about is still at least 20 to 30% art. Cool. And um, let, let's ask a bit like another kind of like a generic question, which to be fair, I've been asking this question throughout the series and I still don't fully get the answer. I think I'm more confused. How do you differentiate attribution from measurement? Hmm. That's a good question for you, Maur. Um, well, <laughs> um, in my understanding, so attribution for me presumes a one-on-one relationship between two events or a series of events, uh, which would mean I can exactly say that this user, for example, saw that impression and after that did this click. And after that, I don't know, installed that app and in that app did the following, etc. Um, so the idea of attribution is more or less a one-on-one matching, whereas measurement is a much more broad term. Um, and can entail much more than just matching, attributing events to each other. Um, so that's the way I would look at it. I wouldn't look at it as even the same um, group of terms or terminology, I think. You know, I think that's, that's you know, because when I have been asking this question for a few times now and you know how sometimes you try to think of a word and your mind starts obsessing about it and you you lose the meaning for the word? I think that what you said is exactly how I uh, imagined or envisioned incremental. And I think in a way attribution and measurement are somewhat of synonymous, but I think when we talk about in the industry attribution, we are mostly referring to the matching of clicks or impressions to conversions. And when we talk about measurement, we are essentially talking a bit more holistically, what was the value of this thing. Now, mm -hmm. if we talk about measurement and attribution, and obviously, you know, we are now in a world where um, one of the biggest changes happening was the death of the uh, identifiers, um, death of the cookie, uh, we are now seeing a app in Google also announcing a privacy sandbox coming to Android. Now, how are ad platforms like Kaizen handling this? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I mean, our business and our platform is very open to a lot of different advertising use cases, as long as they are centric on mobile. So unlike uh, some other ad platforms, we could not say like, oh, what we do is, for example, retargeting, or what we do is just UA, or what we do is just this type of campaigns, or what we do is just like rewarded video ads. Um, because we're a programmatic platform that strives to connect to all the inventory that is programmatically tradable in app. So as a consequence of that, um, the ID changes um, that Apple has implemented and that Google may implement, they are going to affect all of our customers in a very different way. 
Um, so what we are doing is first, we need to educate our customers a lot around this topic. And the second thing is we identify like, where does the idea really have an impact on, um, on campaigns? I mean, there is a few obvious ones like retargeting, of course, but there's not much you can do about that. And, um, building tools for our customers to still get the same or close to the same outcomes um, in an ID-less world. Now, in our case also, um, unlike a classical ad network or one of the world gardens, it is not a black box self-optimizing system. Uh, world garden systems have been built to, you know, you throw something in, the device IDs are an important glue in the system to create the self-optimization process and you get a certain outcome out, right? Um, in our case, advertisers by definition have much more control of what they do and how they do it. So for us, it's much more about building the tooling that allows them to still get results or maybe even better results than they did before in an ID-less world. Uh, one example I just wanna quote is actually just now, um, we are releasing a feature called Smart App Categories and it does categorize the apps that we have access to, the inventory to, um, which is a couple of hundred thousand apps, into um, 350 subgenres, 37 genres, and eight categories. So think about this as a tree. It starts with eight categories for gaming, for non-gaming, and then it has 37 genres, and below that, 350 subgenres. Now, this is much, much more granular than what you will find in the, the App Store. And it is consistent across Android and iOS. So um, yeah, the way we do it, we do it with machine learning, but we also work with external partners that do manual tagging of apps. And we bring that data together um, and create basically an alternative categorization scheme to what the app stores offer. This is tremendously valuable in an ID-less world where contextual signals are uh, more important um, than ever. So, you know, you kind of started answering, but. I, I kind of want to understand. So, you know, the, the question I wrote was, uh, how does a company like Zen differentiate itself from other platforms? I, but I think I kind of want to start, if I hear what you're saying, you know, when other companies, let's say, take a ad networks or manage DSPs, basically what you're saying is that while these companies invest most of the resources into like um, managing campaigns, doing creatives, uh, uh, buying and so on, you're investing 100% of your resources into the tech. I mean, not 100%, but uh, closer to 100%. Yeah. So how would you differentiate yourself beyond that? You know, uh, to uh, we don't need to name names, but I think we both know when we refer to other um, DSPs that are mainly offering managed solutions, how does Kazan really differentiate itself? I would say we empower advertisers that want to be in the driver's seat to actually win the race. Um, that's probably one way to look at it. Um, if you'd rather ride in a cab, you know, and you wanna sit on the back seat and maybe chat with the cab driver once in a while, whether he should turn left or right to get you to the, to the goal, but maybe he's, he's gonna use some navigation service that's gonna do it better than you anyways, um, then uh, we're not the right uh, ride for you. But you know, if you wanna sit on the steering wheel and be the fastest or the best to get to the goal, um, then we are there to help you. 
By the way, is that a marketing sentence you guys use? Like we empower drivers who want to win the race? Because if not, that is a fantastic analogy, Tim. Thank you. Um, I mean, honestly speaking, I just came up with it. <laughs> it's, it's, you should write it down quickly. <laughs> just... uh, yeah. Um, yeah, let's talk a little bit market consolidation. So, you know, um, Kaizen is still independent, correct? Yes, and planning to remain. <laughs> but uh, the the market is consolidating like crazy. Everybody's been buying everybody. You know, it's like a Zynga buying a, what was a chart boost and a couple of others and Aplavin acquiring quite a bit. Uh, what do you think about the consolidation in the market? Is it done? Is it just started? What else is going to be merged into like massive categories? Yeah. Uh, well, I think there's a lot of layers to this. Um, what we have seen is clearly like um, uh, consolidation within the mobile ad tech space between content and, and tech companies or ad tech companies. Um, I think it's not yet done. I think there is a little more consolidation to come. And in particular, it was, it's going to be interesting how mobile is going to fit into the larger advertising space because mobile is just part of it and now it's grown to be a very big and very significant part of it but um you know uh if you if you look at ad tech at large the whole traditional ad tech companies companies like the trade desk right um they are very little at probably not at all operating within the space we do so i think there is still uh, parallel worlds of, of ad tech between mobile and, and, and the rest, at least. And probably when I say the rest, there is also parallel worlds within that, but I'm just not too familiar with it. Um, so I think, you know, if you think five, 10 years out, there is a lot more consolidation to happen between the sectors still. But even within the sectors, I think there is new interesting innovations coming up also in the mobile space, still seeing a lot of cool companies. I mean, Incremental is one of them. But there is there is more companies that solve pressing problems, and there is going to be more consolidation as well. Uh, what we saw, I think, last two weeks ago, Applovin acquired a CTV company. So I think that's uh, reflective of the consolidation wave now going to not happen within the mobile space, but basically between mobile first companies and companies that are, for example, CTV first. Cool. And let's talk a little bit about incrementality. You mentioned incremental, so thank you for that as well. And obviously, Tim was one of the first people I told that I was starting something and I was telling him, to be fair, about the original, original idea, which I'm very glad I didn't go through. But when the original idea started becoming incremental, um, we spoke quite frequently um, about how to and so on, pointing me out also to the challenges we're going to experience. But, you know, now, we see it, we see that also due to the privacy changes, market is kind of like looking for incrementality measurement, incrementality solutions. There's more and more advertisers talking about it. How do you think an ad platform can help customers ensure incrementality or even can it? Hmm. That's a very tricky and hard question. But before I go to that question, I wanted to say something that just came to my mind because you said, we talked about incrementality or you talked about incremental um, very early on with me already. That's true. Um, I want to say, interestingly, I think your initial idea was 
to basically build more of an open source style product for attribution and measurement um, at the time, which was a, a different uh, take on attribution. Um, and it turned into that incremental idea over time, uh, which I think was a fantastic um, angle to solve a real problem that at the time was not so obvious for many that it would be such a big problem soon. But with, I think, with the deprecation of IDs that, um, you know, I think you've been like visionary enough to see that something would change in the market that will require inc incrementality measurement much more than in the past. Um, so I think that's amazing um, to, to say the least. And the timing is always very, very important in an industry. And I think you, you guys have been just perfect when it comes to timing. Now, um, going to your question, um, how can a platform ensure incrementality? I think it cannot, um, I think by definition of how, I mean, it cannot do it in a very systematic way. I think there is naturally add formats and channels that are more incremental than others. And I think everyone would say, um, you know, would, would argue that there are channels that are getting more credit in the current last click, last few attribution environment than they should. And there are channels that get less credit. And clearly companies like Apple with search ads and Google with search ads within both their Google search and the Play Store are benefiting from a last click attribution. And any channels that are more upper funnel and awareness generating are benefiting less um, as of today. So yeah, if you ask me, I think uh, what will happen with better incrementality measurement is that performance-driven advertisers will realize the true value those more upper funnel channels may generate for them. And uh, yeah, assess or put this into their overall calculations and budget allocations. By the way, I spoke but I with I think the... no, no channel can. Yeah, no, I just wanted yeah. to say it's, I think what is very hard still is to create that feedback loop that is so, um, you know, normal for the normal performance marketing, last click attribution environment to create that in an incremental first measurement world. Um, it's a much harder problem to solve for an algorithm to optimize on. I, I, you know, I did speak recently with uh, Jordi, CEO of Smartex, with, which I guess you know, and in a way would be a competitor. And I asked him the same question, and he said, "Look, uh, actually, he answered very similarly." But he said, "We as a as a DSP are uh, doing sometimes randomized control uh, group with our customers," and he admitted that's the best we can do. Um, cannot really ensure because we don't know what happens with the users beyond our own platform. And, you know, I've, I've always kind of appreciated the platforms that offer this because there was no other way to kind of like measure. So you could do randomized control, you could do blackouts, you could basically do experiments, but ensuring is really hard. And, you know, I even see uh, Facebook, of course, recently, you know, um, open source MMM, um, Project Robin, which offers this open source environment or framework for customers to build their own MMM model, which is still not incrementality. It's still really confusing for customers. And by the way, I would very much hope that this world becomes incrementality first, as you said, that put a big smile on my face. That would be 
pretty awesome. But I would say right now, you know, we are collaborating. We are collaborating with Last Touch Attribution Solutions. We're collaborating with MMM. Um, often I would say we just try to provide a tool. Here's a tool. It can help you measure value. This is the use cases. We're not trying to sell you anything. Uh, which is kind of really nice. I think it's what I really wanted to, to do. It's to solve the bigger problem and not be stuck in between to have to prove to anyone if this is incremental or not. It's like, hey, this is what the tool says. Yeah, so enabler. Yeah. And now uh, we spoke a little bit about bullshit um, and our industry is famous in creating terms that... Uh, people like to talk about, but they don't really mean anything, at least not now. Uh, we made a list of some things that uh, are flying around the industry. I kind of wanted to get your view uh, over each one of these terms. So maybe starting with a simple one, cross-platform advertising. Well, uh, has been around forever, I think. Um, I mean, maybe was more um, known as like cross channel advertising in the past so i think advertisers have always used various channels now platforms are sort of channels i mean depends on how you define a platform so i don't think that's anything new <laughs> to me cool now the next one is definitely relatively new nft yeah uh well non-fungible tokens <laughs> um i'm not so deep into that space to be honest so I'm uh, probably not the best person to talk about that. I mean, I'm broadly following it, um, but is that's as much as it is, I would say. Okay. And then the next one, related, unrelated, the metaverse. Yeah, big story, big vision, big ambitions. Um, I think it has definitely a lot of potential in the very long run. I'm quite skeptical how fast we will see a metaverse really emerge. I mean, also, if you think about just take VR, for example, as a whole, right? Um, there was a big hype wave probably five, six years ago. And I don't feel there's that much that has happened in the space. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot that has happened, but in terms of consumer adoption and use cases, it's not a mass market um, technology or ecosystem yet um, and I, I feel like with metaverse it will remain the same I mean one big changer could be you know if the world goes nuts and we all um, you know we all sit in our uh, nuclear bunkers in the future I hope <laughs> of course I hope we won't but if that happens or anything else that requires everyone to literally stay in their cellar all day long then I think metaverse will have a big um, a bigger future even but for me um mobile is i think the biggest game changer um consumer internet has seen and i think it will remain like this for a long time i don't think in 10 years we will say oh metaverse is so much bigger than mobile was because mobile connects perfectly our real lives with the digital world and i don't think the metaverse um, will do that. It, it is more like a replacement for the real world. And I'm not sure that's what people want. Yeah, you know, it's hard for me to really picture what is the metaverse. If I take, obviously, the last two years, so like, uh, you know, work from home, Zoom, I, I practically uh, co-founded Incremental with my co-founder on Zoom. Um, 
and you know zooms back the uh, virtual background is that the metaverse because that's pretty cool i must say um <laughs> but i i don't fully uh, maybe i'm not fully getting it because like you know i looked obviously at the uh, facebook presentation uh, when uh, zek uh, presented the the metaverse but i'm like how is this different from like hubble hotel or second life or pretty much any game that is like a first person um i didn't fully get it yet i do not would not see myself sitting around with a vr like headset uh, all day um having trouble enough just sitting all day already <laughs> but anyway uh moving on to another Please one which i kind of standing desks yeah, yeah you you do that um media mix modeling um yeah that's your uh your buzzword i guess um so that's definitely um catching steam and i think with companies like facebook talking a lot about media mix modeling these days it's obvious that it, it gets mainstream attention at least in the marketers world so yeah and i think that's also been around for a long time um right i mean if you google that term i don't know when it popped up the first time but i'd say at least 25 years ago so um it's it's directly connected to cross-platform or cross-channel advertising for me yeah, I would say that, you know, like no one really has been inventing the wheel here. I think that what the, what kind of like created the, the momentum is, of course, the confusion um, around the whole topic of uh, privacy. And then people just try to look for solutions from the past, from the present, from whatever. Um, agree with you. And there's a lot of confusion, by the way, about what MMM is versus what incrementality is versus attribution and so on. Um, Tim, what's... And I think, uh, by the way, on the topic of MMM is probably something that the digital world can learn a lot from the traditional marketeers. Because uh, the digital marketeers like to portray themselves as the ones that like have all the data and always just do data-driven decisions and um, basically are on the edge all the time. But the reality is when you look into things like media mix modeling, probably a company like Procter & Gamble has maybe the most sophisticated um, stack in place to do that properly. Um, so, or any like fast moving consumer goods company, I would imagine, so. Yeah. Tim, what is a random fact about you? Try to even get one that I don't know. Oof, Maor, you know me well. <laughs> um, I mean, one that you probably know, but maybe not that many people know about me is that um, although um, I grew partially up in Germany, I was I was born here, but I grew up um, 10 years of my life in Africa. And it's not been Cape Town or any of that Europeanized Africa. Um, I, I spent 10, almost 10 years in Nigeria, Zimbabwe and Rwanda and went to school there and um, didn't know my home country until I came here when I was 10 years old. Um, and that was a big shock, um, how different world was here, over here than it was in Africa. You know, I wonder how much of the fact that like, you know, you are, you are a serial entrepreneur team. And like, I think we both know that like the, the typical German person stereotype is you do a university, you go work for management consulting or Siemens or something like that. And I think to to be an entrepreneur, you have to break this 
pattern that you've been taught told i wonder how much of this like child like non um non-traditional childhood in a way influenced your present um honestly speaking um it does influence my character probably but not so much my entrepreneurial choices because i was surrounded by people like my parents were um they they're not government um employees but they work for like ngos and um and and you know they do development aid um it's a very um idealistic job and it is very um predictable as well in a way it's not predictable in some other ways but it it is not risky from an well it can be risky because you can be deployed to remote areas and have like it's risky like physically risky for your life it can be risky for your life but it's not like financially uh taking risk like an entrepreneur um so yeah i would say um not that much i think what uh, um uh what kind of shaped my my mind on that end much more was the kind of people i got to know while i was studying and um like the inspiration i got from other entrepreneurs that i met um and that kind of pushed me to to try it myself and yeah i think i could never go back i think i would be a terrible employee by the way yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think yeah i like again knowing you for many years it's like um entrepreneurship is like in your blood um uh team if people want to follow you where can they find you or if people wanted to reach out Oh, if they want to reach out, um, you reach me at tim at kaizen.io. Kaizen is K-A-Y-Z-E-N.io. Um, and uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'll reply there, PM me. And uh, if you want to drop by our office, it's in Ackerstraße 29 in the hipster center of Berlin. <laughs> by the way, all of Berlin is a hipster center. So let's uh, I think we know that. Yeah. 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 Oh, I will least... come and visit. I will come and visit soon. By the way, is there space? Can I like sometimes come and like just work from there? Oh yeah, yeah. We we, we have taken an office with optimistic hiring uh, trajectories. <laughs> so. Okay, cool. In, in other wait. words, office is pretty empty these days. Um, and since we're both in Berlin, the most important question is: the internet good in your office? It is. Oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay, so teams, thank you so much for your time. I know it's late. Um, I know that you probably have like three more hours of work in you. So I uh, hope to see you physically uh, pretty soon as well. Likewise, Mauer. Thanks for the interview. And ciao. Yeah. Ciao, ciao. See you soon.